10. Well, Acts chapter 9. You're probably thinking, well, I thought we looked at Acts chapter 9 last week. We did, but this, this sermon title is called Saul's Conversion. You say, we looked at that last week. We did. But this is Saul's Conversion Part 2. Saul's Conversion Part 2 which I'm going to read from Acts chapter 9, not the whole conversion account, but from verse 15, to see what happens to this. We remember we said last week that Calvin described him to be like a wild bull. I mean, what happened to this man when he got converted? Well, Acts chapter 9, we'll take the story up there from verse 15. It says, But the Lord said to him, that's Ananias, Go, For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, that he did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, for they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee... Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. 
So the title of the sermon is Saul's Conversion Part 2. Saul the persecutor is now Saul the Christian. Saul the persecutor is now Saul the Christian. And that's how we finished off the part one of the sermon, that Saul was converted. Um, someone said to me, I think, in between the services, you know, uh, how it was wonderful that because he was converted, that meant that persecution ceased. But my impression was it was as if that that's probably only the thing that God could have done, but that's not true. As we'll see in chapter 12, Herod's a persecutor, and God strikes him dead. But it was just free grace that, that converted this man, and we would never have thought naturally that he would have been converted. So today we're hopefully sat on the edge of our seats, wondering what's going to happen next. Now he is converted. We're going to look at that, what happened next. And this conversion is so important in the history of the church that Luke, who writes this book, the book of Acts, he records it no less than three times. Well, once would be enough. Now, he records it three times. Here in Acts chapter 9. Then later on in Acts chapter 22, when uh, Saul and Paul, he's known by then, gives his testimony of how he was converted to the Jews. They all knew him. Many of them knew who he was. And uh, he gave his testimony that he now believes in Jesus. That uh, He used to persecute people who believed in the name of Jesus, and now he's a preacher of that same name. And in Acts chapter 26, we see that Paul is standing before a king whose name was King Agrippa. And he testifies to this king. And remember, I like the King James Version on this point. King Agrippa translates it, Thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. I like that. Whether it's accurate to the Greek, I could debate later. But, but the point is, are you persuaded this morning to be a Christian? You know, children I'm talking to, not just adults, I'm talking to all of us. You may sit here and you may say, I'm not a Christian. I know I'm not a Christian. I know I don't believe in Jesus. But you can become a Christian today. You say, well, 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 how? You need to turn from the attitude and turn to Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior. King Agrippa, he had the gospel presented to him, and he, he made this pathetic statement. You almost persuade me, Paul. Sometimes people are almost persuaded, but they will face the same everlasting punishment as Adolf Hitler. You say, well, that's not fair. I didn't mention about being fair. God is always fair. God is always righteous. The worst thing that can happen to anybody is to die in your sins. Forget about Adolf Hitler. Forget about people who have done atrocities. If we die in our sins without faith in Jesus Christ, we will face everlasting punishment. And not only did Saul of Tarsus deserve everlasting punishment, so did every one of us who is in this room today. It's only by grace that we can be saved, and to God alone be the glory. We've got three simple headings for us this morning. Saul's calling, that's the first heading, Saul's calling. Secondly, Saul's preaching. Saul's preaching, and thirdly, Saul's 
suffering, Saul's suffering. So we'll get straight to the first uh, heading, which is Saul's calling. And, and remember this bold man, Ananias, who the Lord spoke to in chapter 9 and verse 15, the Lord revealed to Ananias something of this man's calling. He said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. That's Saul of Tarsus. He was chosen by the Lord, of course, from all eternity, as every Christian is, but specifically, his background had been preparing him for what he became, which was this remarkable apostle. He will carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And in verse 16, the Lord says to Ananias of Saul of Tarsus, for I will show him how much he must suffer, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so we'll be looking later on in this sermon at, at the doctrine of suffering. And so what we're finding here from this text, we see in verse, uh, after he's baptized and had some food in verse 19, for some day, days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Well, who did? It was Saul of Tarsus. And let me just just make one simple comment before we move on, because this man becomes Paul the Apostle. Um, let me just explain that before we ex look at Saul's calling a bit more. I used to think as a young Christian, Saul, Paul, that's easy. What? Because his name changes. You know, in Acts chapter 13, he becomes known as Paul. So as a young Christian, I used to think, well, he must have just knocked off the S and put the P there and everything was fine. But actually, uh, history shows us that uh, for Jewish communities, they would give their children uh, Jewish names, but it was very common at that time for children to be given middle names and a, and a Greek name, and that's what happened with, with Saul. Saul, we know, was from the tribe of Benjamin, who's one of the most well-known people from the tribe of Benjamin. It's actually King Saul. Whether I'd want to name my son after King Saul is another story, but he was named after this famous king, King Saul, but also giving a, given a Greek name as well, which was Paulus. So clearly later on, as an apostle to Gentiles, he chose to defer to one of his second names, which was Paulus. So but this is the same man, Saul, who is Paul the apostle. It's the same person. But let's just think about this man, Ananias, what, what boldness it was. Could you imagine what he must have been thinking? But the Lord not only persuaded him, but he went and did what the Lord said to him. He, he said in the Bible it records, Luke records, he, he addressed him as Brother Saul. Isn't that wonderful? To be a brother or sister in the body of Christ. What a privilege. And so we see this calling, and later on in Saul, Paul's ministry, what we find is, is that God has given him pure grace, saying, you go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. He was chosen to serve the Lord in the extension of the gospel to all kinds of places. It's one thing to be thankful for being brought into the kingdom of God, but he was also brought in to an act of service. He was called to be a preacher at the same time. 
And later on in Corinthians, he, he says this. He says in chapter 4, he says in, in terms of his suffering and his hardship and his difficulties, he says this, so we do not lose heart. Do you ever lose heart as a Christian? Do you get discouraged? You wouldn't be human if you didn't get discouraged. But Paul writes, so we do not lose heart. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he calls all of his sufferings. And boy, when you look at them, did he suffer? And he didn't sign up for this, by the way. He didn't, uh, you know, the Lord didn't say, look, I'd like you to serve me and uh, you're going to really suffer for my name's sake. And no, he didn't sign up for that. But he says this later on in life. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Is there any Christian today that's suffering? And especially because you're a Christian. Paul compares and says his sufferings is light and it's momentary in comparison with the eternal weight of glory. So be encouraged. Press on. Paul was a chosen instrument. We, we find even in this passage here, he was multilingual before he even started. Uh, we're not saying men shouldn't go to seminary. They, they, they should receive formal training. But Paul, he was fluent as he's in, in Hebrew Aramaic. And then next thing we know in, in, in this passage, he's debating with the Greek-speaking Jews possibly the very same Jews who stoned Stephen to death, and he's talking to them in Greek. This man is multilingual. He's, he knows the Scriptures inside out and back to front. But the difference is now, before, all he saw was the letter of the Word of God, and he couldn't understand it. No one can be saved simply by reading the Bible. Because if they could, Paul would have been saved already. He knew the Bible so well, but yet the scales were taken off his eyes, and now he could see Jesus Christ coming out of the same Scriptures. So he was also a Roman citizen. He knew the Scriptures. And let's just say before we move to the second heading, we're just looking at Saul's calling, some of the fruit he was the author under God for the book of Romans. Book of Romans. You know how many chapters are there? There's 16 chapters. What's the theme of the book of Romans? It's the gospel of God. If you want to know the gospel, get to know the book of Romans. I would say this, that the book of Romans alone has been the most influential piece of writing to impact and influence the church in 2,000 years. And this chosen instrument was ordained by God to write that. So, you know, if someone, you know, you meet people today and they, they claim they're apostles, you think, well, boy, you know, things seem to have really gone downhill in the church compared to what the apostle Paul was. You know, to write the book of Romans, he was clearly a chosen instrument. But before I look at the second heading, Saul's preaching, let's just think about the timing of Paul's calling generally. Because what we see here in Saul, 
is that he was called to Christ and called to the ministry at the same time. Generally, calling is used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament writings, of someone being brought to Christ for salvation. Do you ever think sometimes, I wish I'd got saved earlier? A waste of my time. Do you ever, have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt guilty about the things, the terrible things that you did before you were saved? Well, if you did, how much more the Apostle Paul? And in Galatians chapter 1, listen to these pastoral words. Galatians chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. What Saul, Paul is saying here in the Galatians letter is saying his CV was horrific. He used to violently attack the church. Nobody here has that CV. And so God allowed him to do all those things. And Paul, though he was forgiven, he never forgot the atrocities that he did before he was a Christian. And why would that be necessary? Because Paul never forgot that it's by grace that he was saved. And we need to be reminded, it's, again, it's by grace that we've been saved. If you're sat here feeling frustrated, why didn't I get saved earlier? It's because God chose not to save you earlier. That's why. And therefore, if we're saved, we should be thankful to God that we are saved. And so there's some pastoral help from the Apostle Paul and the timing of his conversion. Our second heading is Saul's preaching. So we've looked briefly at Saul's calling. Secondly, Saul's preaching. Now, though he wrote the book of Romans, Paul, we're going to find, before anything else, was first and foremost a preacher. And people can forget this. Why can they forget it? Well, because one of the, his own churches that he was involved in planting, the Corinthians, were now criticizing his preaching. And so in our minds, we can even begin to, well, you know, maybe that wasn't his main thing. It was more, you know, a letter writer. Yes, he wrote epistles, but first and foremost, Saul was called and equipped by God to be a preacher, a herald of the gospel. And what does he do? He's, he's a very raw gift, but he had the gift of, shall we say, public speaking before he actually was born again and was called. So he didn't wake up the following day that his whole personality was completely changed. He was a completely different man. No, he was the same man, and this man who'd been very zealous to come towards uh, Jerusalem and attack the saints, there was still a lot of that character in him that had to be straightened out. But what do we find about Saul's preaching in verse uh, 19 and 20? For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately 
he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? And Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. Why? By proving that Jesus was the Christ. You think, well, hang on a minute. Where could he have got such knowledge from? Just a few verses before, in chapter 9, we see that Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and now he's convincing people that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ. And that would, would have taken boldness, wouldn't it? I mean, he's, he's supposed to have been serving the Jews to create havoc among the church. And now he's going into the synagogues and he's preaching to them. I mean, you can expect them, no doubt, they're going to be confused and they were. Wondering, what is happening? This man, Saul, he was now called to be a preacher. A preacher, uh, as we think about Jesus. And a lot of times we forget. But as one person wrote a book, the first thing that Jesus was, was a preacher. Jesus was more than a preacher, but he was first and foremost a preacher. And so therefore, should it surprise us in our own day when preaching constantly comes under attack? This attack is not a new thing. It's always been there. Because when Paul was born again, what happened to him? He became a this is not true for every Christian in the same way, but he was called to be a preacher, and therefore he became a servant of the Word of God. That the church cannot survive without preaching. The, the church cannot survive in all the ages without preaching. And we, we see in Genesis chapter 3, remember what happened? That slippery snake came up to... Uh, Eve, first of all, and, and said, you know, and introduced doubt regarding the Word of God. And then, before we know it, Adam had doubt, and, and the fall happened, but the attack was against the Word of God. You know, has God said? And the answer is, yes, God has said. And so Paul is now a preacher of the Word of God. He's now a servant to the Word of God, which also would mean that he would then be under direct attack from the devil. And we need to pray for our preachers. Pray that God would lift up the shield of faith over them, would protect them, encourage them. We're going to find out about some of Saul's preaching and the encouragement that he has. But he was called to be a preacher before anything else. What's a preacher? Well, this is a very raw gift that Paul's exercising here is in the synagogues proving that Jesus was the Christ. But a preacher is a public explainer and interpreter of spiritual truths. It's heralding the truth of God. It's magnifying the, the whole trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's magnifying and glorifying Jesus Christ. Now, 
what does Paul write at the very end of his life? This is the very beginning of his new life. What does he write at the very end of his life when he's on death row in Rome? He's facing, he's escapes from the lion. Imagine being eaten alive by a lion. He doesn't die by being eaten by a lion. He actually dies most likely by having his head cut off because he was a Roman citizen. But in 2 Timothy, Paul writes this. He says, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Paul says he was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. But the first thing on Paul's list is that he was appointed to be a preacher. Now, so he begins to preach, but then we'll skip forward a little bit because he has to escape for his life, and we'll come back to that in a moment. And so he now, in verse 26, he came to Jerusalem. He attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him. And at verse 27, but Barnabas, Barnabas, we'll come back to him in a moment, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. So we think, hang on, in these few verses we've learned Paul's been converted, we've, we've seen something of his calling, and now we're seeing Saul preaching. He's, he's not been converted that long. He's already preaching boldly, preaching boldly boldly in Damascus he was supposed to be there to do a very different task but out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaking is now preaching boldly in Damascus we'll see in a minute he escapes for his life and now he's preaching boldly in Jerusalem so what do you think the Jews what do you think the Jews are doing are they singing praise God from whom all no they're not they they are angry he switched sides. You know, different cities have different things. And, you know, Sheffield, whether you like football or not, is, is neither in or there. But, you know, there's just remarkable rivalry between Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday. And in the light of eternity, you know, who cares about it? But it would be very unusual if you had a Wednesday fan. And, and, and you know, you, you go through low times. Sheffield United fans go through low times. But if someone was in their midlife, which Paul was, and then they just said, look, I'm fed up, I'm switching sides. Well, what Saul did was like a thousand times worse than anything like that. He was working for the Jews who hated Christ, hated the church, probably were involved in plotting those people who hated Christ, the very death of Jesus, and now Saul switches sides. And they hated him for it. But praise God for this verse, in verse which we've just read, verse 27, but Barnabas, but Barnabas. And we thank God for this man, Barnabas, who we've first encountered in Acts chapter 4. He was labeled by the apostles a son of encouragement. He had a wonderful testimony, not only before the apostles, but before the church. He was a wonderfully gifted man, Barnabas, a key figure in the history of the church, 
And though we know all about Saul more than Barnabas, there wouldn't have been a Saul. I know God is sovereign, I understand it, but there wouldn't have been, naturally speaking, a Saul without a Barnabas. And we need to pray that God would raise up men and women in the church who would be encouragers, out of whom encouragement would flow so that the church can be further strengthened. And Barnabas took him. He explained to the apostles, this man has been boldly preaching in the name of the Lord. He explained about his conversion, and now he was preaching in Jerusalem. But before we move to our last heading, notice that phrase, he was preaching. He says he was proclaiming boldly. In verse 27, it was spoken about how Saul preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So before we move to our last heading, let's think about what preaching boldly means. Preaching boldly is not shouting. Remember in Acts chapter 4, boldness is what the church prayed for. You remember in Acts 4, the church gathered together and they prayed that with all boldness the word of God would be preached. Saul of Tarsus was part of that answered prayer. I remember many years ago I heard an American preach, and um, you know, he wore a, wore a bow tie. That might be culturally fine in their culture, but we generally don't wear bow ties for preaching. He, not, nothing wrong with that, but for preaching. I'm talking about preaching. But I, I remember him to this day, and you know, he, was a, he was a highly charged man, and he announced the congregation. I won't even tell you what his name was, but he announced and said, I only have two ways of preaching. It'll either be loud or it'll be very loud. It'll either be long or it'll be very long. And I sat there over the next hour, and it was very loud and very long. And I just sat there, just, 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 just felt like in a boxing ring. So what we need to know is that preaching boldly is not shouting. It's from a Greek verb that talks about having freedom of speech. Uh, in other words, Paul was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He must have been to have preached boldly among Jews who many of them would have known him and known the, the things that he did. Martin Lloyd-Jones, there's a book with letters by him, and, and Lloyd-Jones often refers to in his own preaching that he would write to his wife and say, I was preaching on, I don't know, on the conversion of Dorcas. Well, not Dorcas, wasn't it? But, you know, conversion of Lydia or something. And he would say, and when I was in the pulpit, the, the Lord gave me great freedom. Freedom. And it's interesting how that phrase is used. It's, it's this preaching boldly with, with, with freedom. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So this is now more than Saul's natural gift. This is describing the work of the Holy Spirit that preachers should pray for and we in the church should pray for whoever's preaching. Lord, grant our preachers freedom that they may proclaim the word of God with your anointing boldly. Because preaching is not a human task. It's going to take the help of the Lord. But our third and last heading is Saul's suffering. Saul's suffering. We remember the Lord had said uh, to Saul and through Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. We've already read 
This man's been converted, Saul, and we've already read of two death plots against this man. Can there be anybody else in the history of the church that suffered two death plots uh, before he's even started? When he was in Damascus, Paul refers to this later on in 2 Corinthians, that there's a plot to kill him. Uh, this is the devil. The devil's fully going against him, and what happens is the brothers there, uh, I don't know if you, you're afraid of heights or, or what, but um, they imagine they put him in a basket. Well, it's got to be a bigger basket than, you know, having a bit of a couple of loaves of bread. They put him in a basket. And they put him in a basket at night time and, and lower him down in a basket. Imagine, you know, if the bottom of the basket collapsed that he fell through onto the floor. But it didn't happen. And the reason why, because the king in Damascus was checking all the gates to, to kill this man. Saul of Tarsus. And so late at night, the brothers, they put him in a basket and then they lowered him down so he could escape for his life. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes this later on in his life. He says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul says this, who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying at Damascus. So he now records this in 2 Corinthians 11. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So what happens to Saul now? Do we not hear anything of him? Well, actually, he, he escapes in Damascus, and he actually goes back to Jerusalem where the Sanhedrin had commissioned him to do these atrocities. And there we find again in, in Jerusalem, it, it says here that in verse 27, he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus. He went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and disputed in verse at uh, 29, he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. But God's providence intervened. Because it says, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And we don't hear from him again for quite a while. This man who was converted... He also needed to learn to calm down a bit because he was converted. He was a preacher. You, you, couldn't, you, know, you couldn't win it with any Bible discussion with him. He knew the Bible now and he saw Jesus, but he was still a, something of a wild bull. You know, he was preaching boldly. God was anointing him, but he needed to have some silent years. And silent years are needed also for preparation for preachers. And he was, we know he then went off to Arabia, we find out in other writings, but for now, he's sent off to Tarsus. So he got him down to Caesarea, this port, and he was sent off. And then we finish off this morning with verse 31. What's the fruit of Saul being converted? Two death plots, he's beginning to face suffering, 
God takes him out of the picture now altogether and look at what happens to the church. Verse 31, this summary statement. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Now, I can only say so much about this verse. We'll have to continue, if God permits, with the next installment in the next sermon on the book of Acts. But the first thing it says that the gospel we learn now had spread through all of Judea, and now we've not had this before, all of Galilee, which is where Jesus was in his earthly ministry. And, and it says, and Samaria. And the church now has peace for a season. The persecution uh, has ceased. It'll come back again. But the church had peace and was being built up. The church was being edified. And it says the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And notice this word that comes in. And it multiplied. That's a, a, a new, if anyone likes maths, you know, there's a new word coming in here because earlier on we've had, and the Lord added to the church daily. And now, with the conversion of Saul, he's taken out of the picture, the church has peace. Can you imagine? Whew, what a relief! At least for a season. And the church, and it's a, a word we're going to find again in the book of Acts, is now multiplying. No man is organizing this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not, by the way, an Arminian recipe for success. Ah, if we can just get this and this and this, then we'll have the church to multiply. No, this is the Lord's work. So we praise God this morning that we began to see last week Saul's conversion. We've seen something of the fruit of this, that Saul was his calling. We've looked at that briefly, which included suffering, but he was called also to preach. And he was a preacher of the gospel and maintained that throughout his whole life. But he also was called in a most unusual way to face suffering like few men in the whole of the Bible. Suffering for the name of Jesus. Suffering for the name of Jesus. So as we close, and we can pray for this, that we're reminded this morning, aren't we, to expect and pray for conversions. I think right now we're living in a time, since I've rarely known since I've been a Christian, I've never known a time when I never hear of conversions. Do you? Has God changed? He hasn't. But just because we're not seeing it doesn't mean we shouldn't expect it and pray for it for men and women and boys and girls to be converted. It doesn't mean they'll be converted like the Apostle Paul. Remember Lydia? It says, and the Lord opened her heart and she was converted. And we should expect this and be praying for this and looking for the Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit.